Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all here and those of you who are joining us online. Speaking of life-changing experiences, we have a young family that has just had that in their lives. And uh, that is uh, Greg and April Heisinga. And uh, Greg and April, baby Finn, or Phineas, was born three weeks early on June 1st. And Greg and April are over there today. So congratulations and thanks for being with us today. Special day for you guys. Well, I want to begin today by telling you a story that I remember in my life when I was, from when I was about 12 years old. And I was in a Sunday school class and the teacher asked, does anyone have any prayer requests? And at that time in my life, I was extremely impatient. I hated waiting. And I couldn't stand it, especially when my mom was not ready to leave when I was ready to leave. And so I would try to prompt her or encourage her to move faster. And when the verbal blasts didn't work, I had this other strategy. And it basically went like this. I would kind of walk into her sight line wherever she was getting ready, and I would kind of make sure she could see me and then I would hold out my left arm which was wrapped with my watch as it is today and I just snap my arm around and look at the time and then look at her and then I would shake my head very subtle and it never worked it was during this time in my life that the teacher asked the question and so I thought I should ask God for patience and then the teacher immediately instructed me and gave me a warning you know if you ask for patience God is going to test your patience and things might go wrong in your life well I didn't want that so I think I rescinded my prayer request and I said no no prayer request today I just want to keep snapping my wrist around at people thinking that will move them to move faster yet I needed to grow in patience in my life and still do and I wonder about you. How is your patience? Would, would those who are closest to you say you are a patient person? And some of those closest to you would say, yes, you are a patient person. And some might say, um, that's a growth area in your life, maybe. And I think wherever we are at on the patient scale, all of us have a limit when it comes to our patience, where it will end. They used to call it long-suffering in Old English, which was a great description because patience involves suffering for a long time sometimes with others until we come to the end of our patience or they change or things resolve. So think about how you are doing in the area of patience and now think about it from another angle who are the most patient people that you've experienced in your life? Who has shown you patience? And as you think about them, what is it about them that communicates patience to you? That you know that they're being patient with you? What do they do or don't do that helps you as they are patient with you? And when we have patient people in our lives, it is a blessing. And when we show patience to others, it is a blessing. So now, let's think about the patience of God. Do you think God has shown patience towards you? 
Do you remember a time when you had wronged him, wandered far from him, and then came back to him, and there he was, arms wide open, welcoming you back into his embrace. Do you think God's patience ever comes to an end? And if it does, how might that alter or impact your view of him? Today we're going to talk about God's patience as we return to the book of Ezekiel. And I think Ezekiel, the whole book, presents a very balanced perspective on the patience of God. And I pray that we will see today the tremendous gift of God's patience available to anyone here today and watching online. And then we're going to think about how we can live in the light of God's patience, especially when we are going through a frustrating time in our lives. Something has come into our lives that we did not anticipate or was not planned, and we're thinking, how do we deal with this? So, would you please find Ezekiel 33 in your Bibles or in the Bibles that we have for you? If you're sitting in the front row, there should be one underneath or in the pews in front of you, page 614. And we're going to look at Ezekiel 33 and verses 21 to 29. So this is Ezekiel narrating for us again, and he says this. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came, and he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning, so my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land, but we are many. The land is surely given us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to the idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste. And her proud might shall come to an end. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. And you're saying, what on earth does this have to do with God's patience? Well, we need to set this in context to see the patience of God. So let's go back to remember where we've come from. Last time we were in Ezekiel, we were in chapter 11 which is the end of a three-chapter vision of Ezekiel's temple vision. And remember, a heavenly messenger takes Ezekiel on a tour of the temple and there reveals all the idolatries that the people of Israel were engaged in in and around the house of the Lord. And remember, they had placed an idol right by the altar, right outside the temple, so that this idol kind of dominated view. And then there were 70 elders or 70 leaders in the temple that were burning incense to uh, carved images on the wall. And there, there were these women 
who were weeping in front of the idol Tammuz, who we think was the Babylonian fertility god, and by their weeping they hoped to resurrect him so that he would bless their crops. And then lastly, we saw, or the messenger took Ezekiel to see 25 men who had turned their backs on the temple and were worshiping the sun. And the Lord called these abominations, and we saw how this idol worship led to violence in the land and the oppression of the most vulnerable. And the temple was supposed to be this place where the Lord dwelt and met with his people on earth. But the Lord would not stay in a place filled with abomination. So by the end of Ezekiel 11, we see the glory of the Lord rise up from the temple. He leaves in his chariot throne and goes to the mountains on the east side of the city. But all is not lost. For the first time in Ezekiel, in the latter half of chapter 11, there is a message of hope. And we learned about Ezekiel or the Lord promising the people that he would give them a heart of flesh to replace their hearts of stone. And that promise would be fulfilled with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So that Ezekiel 8 to 11 vision happens about the year 592 before Christ. It is six years since Ezekiel has been taken into exile. And then Ezekiel ministers for another six years after that temple vision. And he delivers messages of warning and woe. And they announce the Lord's judgment that people need to turn back to him because Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Yet even in these messages of judgment, there are calls for, uh, for, for repentance and, and to turn back to the Lord. And one example is in Ezekiel 18, verses 30 to 32. If you want to turn back there for a moment. Ezekiel 18, verses 30 to 32. This is the Lord speaking. And he says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. So, so the Lord, all through these messages, is also appealing for them to come back. So even in the face of certain judgment upon the nation, God appeals for individual repentance. And he gave people plenty of time and warning to turn to him. So point one, if you're following along in the bulletin, is number one, God demonstrated exceptional patience with the Israelites. Exceptional patience. He repeatedly rescued them despite their repeated unfaithfulness. And this patience happened throughout their history from the very beginning. He rescues them from Egypt with all those incredible signs, the ten plagues. He brings them through the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai and they turn to worship a golden calf. Yet the Lord forgives. The Lord preserves. He delivers them from enemy armies and evil kings. He sends prophet after prophet to bring them back. And even when he decides to go ahead with Jerusalem's destruction, he continues to warn and call the people back. So he has shown exceptional patience with the Israelites prior to what we read today. And point two then is God shows exceptional patience with us, with you and me. If you're a Christian here today, think about the 
patience that God showed you in allowing you to live until the moment that you received Christ. Think about his patience in those times that you wavered in your faith. Consider his patience when you went through a season of rebellion or simply drifted from him for a few months or years. And who was there waiting for you when you came back but our God of patient love? And if you're not a believer in Christ, I would argue God has also shown you patience to allow you to live to this moment. When you hear this message about his patient love for you, God could have ended the world two years ago. But he waits until the appointed time so that more can come into his kingdom. So God shows exceptional patience in our lives. God showed exceptional patience to the Israelites. He warns them of Jerusalem's coming fall, yet still invites them to repentance. And the people collectively reject this call. So Ezekiel continues to announce the certainty of judgment upon Israel. And then in chapters 25 to 33, he announces the certainty of judgment upon the powerful nations that surround Israel, like Egypt and Babylon. And then everything changes. For the Babylonians hear of rebellion against them again in Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, sends his army to lay siege to Jerusalem. This is the third time he's had to do this. The previous two times he's shown some measure of mercy by not leveling the city, but there'll be no mercy this time. So in the year 586, Jerusalem falls. They breach the walls. They go in and slaughter many. They take many more captive. Then they level the city, burning the temple Solomon's temple to the ground and knocking down the walls so the city will have great difficulty in rising again. And here we learn, so this is verses 21 and 22 back in Ezekiel 33, which are the hinge point of the book, the turning point of the book. Jerusalem falls and God's patience with Jerusalem comes to an end. And so in verse 21, we hear about this fugitive from Jerusalem who comes and says the city has been struck down and if you have a bulletin on the inside we have another picture from the Bible project and you see there that moment where the fugitive arrives and he speaks to Ezekiel about the reality Jerusalem has fallen or has been struck down and this man probably came in the first wave of prisoners deported from Jerusalem And with his few words, he confirms everything Ezekiel has said in the past, confirming that he is truly a prophet from God. And God had prepared Ezekiel for this moment. Back in Ezekiel 24, if you want to just turn back there for a moment, Ezekiel 24, verses 25 to 27, the Lord prophesies this moment and what will happen. So Ezekiel 24, verse 25, As for you, son of man, surely on the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire and also their sons and daughters, on that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day your mouth will be open to the fugitive and you shall speak and be no longer mute. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. Now, did you catch Ezekiel 24, verse 25, and how the Lord described Jerusalem? He doesn't say, surely on the day when I take from them Jerusalem. 
or their capital city. He says, when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire. Aren't those supposed to be things that we think of God? Isn't he our stronghold? Isn't he supposed to be our joy and glory? Isn't he supposed to be the delight of our eyes? Isn't he our soul's desire? And yet the citizens of Jerusalem had transferred all of that onto Jerusalem itself. They had put their faith in the city and probably they thought God's temple is here. He'll never let it be destroyed. This is his dwelling place. He will never let Jerusalem fall. But God would allow it ultimately for the people's good. And then notice back in Ezekiel 33, verse 22, the Lord releases Ezekiel's tongue. And remember, early in Ezekiel, we learned that the Lord would make Ezekiel mute at certain times so that Ezekiel would have to portray his messages uh, physically, do these sign acts, the weird sign acts of chapters 4 and 5. And then at other times, when he was mute, the people would know he, the hand of the Lord is upon him. He can't speak, so he has to be a sign. But now Ezekiel's tongue is loosed and he is going to be able to carry out the mission of the prophet now that his word has been fulfilled and everyone knows he's a true prophet. Yet we must not miss this passage's teaching about God's patience, that it eventually comes to an end. And I might put uh, the summary of Ezekiel and God's patience like this. God is exceptionally patient, yet not eternally patient. God is exceptionally patient, yet not eternally patient. He gives decades of warning. He shows incredible patience with us. Yes, he is a God of mercy and love and does not want anyone to perish, yet his patience has a limit. And scripture consistently speaks of this. Back in Genesis 6, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the Lord looked over the world. He saw a world filled with violence and the oppression of people. So what does he do? His patience ends with that generation and he floods the world and allows only Noah and his family to survive. The Lord goes to visit Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram convinces the Lord, well, what if you find 10 righteous men there? Oh, I won't destroy it for that. We can't even find two righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord's patience ends with that city. And then the Lord's patience ended with the 10 northern tribes of Israel when they kept going after idols. And so he allows Assyria to conquer them. Now the Lord's patience has ended with Jerusalem. And the Lord promises that one day our world will end as we know it. Jesus will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Book of Revelation is all about that. We have had 1,900 years with the book of Revelation to read it and to prepare accordingly. So God is exceptionally patient, but not eternally patient. Yet, we might react to this. Isn't God loving and merciful? Isn't God unfair? To carry out judgment? These people didn't deserve that? Well, verses 23 to 29 speak to this. Where the Lord reveals both the thoughts and actions of Jerusalem's survivors. 
Now, the Babylonians killed many of the military, royal, and wealthy class, and the rest they carried off into captivity. And in 2 Kings 25, we learn they left the poorest in the land to keep things kind of going there. So they begin to put their lives together amidst the ruins of Jerusalem and the land, and look at what they are saying back in Ezekiel 33, verse 24. Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given to us as a possession. So Abraham was the father of Israel. You can read about his story in Genesis 12 to 23. And from him the people of Israel descended. And the argument goes like this. Abraham was just one guy and he got possession of a plot of land. Well, we are many, therefore we get all the land. Now, if you were a refugee in Babylon and you heard that the survivors in Jerusalem were talking like this, how would that make you feel? What are they talking about in, in, in the ruins of Jerusalem? Oh, they're dividing up our land, our possessions, our property. They're, they're taking it for themselves. Is that like encouraging? Wouldn't you hope that the, the, the survivors in Jerusalem would both, would, would, would both express their hope and their prayers for the people in exile? And their care and their concern for them so that they could be one as a nation. But instead, the survivors are saying, oh, we get all the land now. We get all the possessions. We get your houses. Did those survivors deserve the land? Their, their statement neglects one critical piece of Abraham's inheritance. Abraham received the inheritance because he believed God, it tells us in Genesis 15, 6. And though he was imperfect and flawed, Abraham learned and pursued a right relationship with the Lord. Well, were the survivors doing that? No. In fact, in Ezekiel 33, verses 25 and 26, the Lord levels six accusations against them. They eat meat with undrained blood, which is contrary to God's law. They worship idols. They murder. They depend on violence. They commit abominations. And they defile one another's wives. Does that sound like a just society? A people after God's own heart? No. The poorest people violate the covenant with God. And there's a warning to us here because don't we think, you know, those people that are in power, the government, oh, they're all corrupt. They're evil. They're, they're doing things just for their own benefit. Whereas if we were in power, we would rule justly and righteously. Well, hopefully. But these people reveal their true colors when the restraint over them is thrown off. And every one of these accusations details a covenant violation between the Lord and his people. So point four is God was just and holy in carrying out judgment upon the Israelites. Yet this part of God's character is hard for us. When we think about judgment, when we think about the end of someone's patience, it's not comfortable. 
But it's part of God's character that the Bible reveals. And it also goes along with all the other attributes of God, his, his love and mercy and his patience and his compassion. And he brings all of these into his justice and his judgment. So how might we come to terms with the fact that God's patience has a limit? That God does, in fact, judge? Well, here's some different ways. Maybe one of these will speak to you. Uh, one way might be to recognize we act in the same way and we think we're right in doing it. So I'm not talking about when our patience comes to an end just because we're tired or we snap. I'm talking about when our patience ends after thoughtful, prayerful consideration and maybe we have suffered long with a particular person, we have borne with a lot and we decide, you know what, this is just, this can't continue as it is. And I prayerfully I'm going to set this boundary in place. I prayerfully need to end this relationship. I prayerfully need to confront this behavior. I prayerfully need to give an ultimatum. When we do that, we're pretty convinced we're right. And we do it imperfectly. But we do it. And sometimes out of love for the person. And since God is perfect, just, righteous, and holy, he's 100% right in doing this. Another way we might come to terms with God's judgment is to recognize truth does not depend on popular opinion. A lot of people deal with this aspect of God's character by just dismissing it. Oh, it's, it's not true, or I don't believe in God, or no, God's not really like that. No, we don't like that. It's not true. Let's just ignore it. No, truth does not depend on popular opinion. Something is true whether or not people believe it. Or agree with it. And God reveals himself to be a God of love, goodness, holiness, and justice. Or another way that we can come to terms with the end of God's patience is to recognize the great personal sacrifice he made to protect us from judgment. So he doesn't just announce judgment is coming. He says, and I am going to personally sacrifice my own son, who is completely innocent to die and to take your punishment and your penalty so that you might experience no condemnation. Anyone who receives Christ is protected from the judgment of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he personally acted and intervened in history to do something about the judgment that we would face. Or another approach might be to recognize we actually do want God deep down to judge some people, don't we? Like Adolf Hitler, he committed suicide. He never faced a tribunal for his crimes. Don't we want him judged by God? And, and a few other people too throughout history. And may, what about the people that have wronged you and have gotten away with it? D don't we want their... To be justice. And, and so if there's going to be justice. And for justice to be just. Everyone needs to face it. And God again has made a way. For us to be forgiven and declared not guilty. And, and then one final way that we might. That might help us to think about this. Or accept this. Is to remember how quickly we judge others. And especially God. Oh, that's not fair. That is wrong. You realize that's judging God. We've made a judgment and said, God, you're wrong. 
So we're okay with doing that, but we're not okay with God exercising judgment on us? Well, God is the creator and owner of the entire universe. And God gave us lives and opportunities and time and gifts. And he is justified in calling all who live to give account for the life that he's given them. And this is no surprise for anyone who has read the Bible. It is very clear God will ultimately judge the world and he provides a way for people to reconcile with him through Christ before that day. And that is the good news. Just as God would save and restore anyone who turned to him in repentance prior to the fall of Jerusalem, after the fall of Jerusalem, the same is true in our lives today. So God shows exceptional patience to those who humbly seek him, and he offers his exceptional patience to those who don't know him. So, how might we respond to all of this? Well, first, Christians. Some of us here today need to confess that we have taken advantage of the Lord's patience. Uh, Someday I'm going to get back and get close to God. Someday I'm going to return to him. Someday, you know, I'm going to get serious about, why not today? What are we waiting for? God's shown us incredible, exceptional patience Would you like it if someone took advantage of your patience? So so return to God. Confess, I've taken advantage of of your patience, Lord. I need to return to you. And then secondly, we walk with the Lord and we're called to imitate his patience. So we need to ask for the Lord's strength and power to grow in patience. And... Not, not like I did when I was 12 years old. Just, you know, I see patients on a page and I think I should grow in that. But maybe, maybe we're facing some really tough situation right now and, and we're really frustrated by it. And we need to ask the Lord to grow in us patience in this situation. So maybe we need patience with someone in our life. Maybe we need patience to deal with some other frustration. Something has come along that has derailed our plans. And we now live with this interruption, this inconvenience. We're angry. We're impatient. Maybe that this has come along. How can we deal with it? And James 5, verses 7 and 8, and then verses 10 to 11 give us a clue. Some guidance, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then verses 10 and 11 of James 5, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, this refers to patience in suffering and frustration, and it instructs us to focus on the Lord's compassion and mercy. And this is especially important when we think, oh Lord, you don't see what's going on. You don't care. No, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is merciful, and the Lord is always at his work, doing his work that we can't see. And we may not see until eternity. But this is the journey of faith, trusting that the Lord is doing his work in the midst of our frustrating circumstances. 
He may use a red light, a traffic light, to stop us from getting into an accident. He may use a routine checkup to reveal a serious health issue that can be dealt with before it's too late. He may allow a telemarketer call to wake us up in the night so that we smell the smoke from the basement fire. Romans 8.28 again, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So we focus our trust on God and his work in the midst of the confusion and interruption in our lives. And when we keep our focus on him and his work and his compassion and mercy, we can live with patience. And much of the Christian life involves adjusting our lives to the realities that we face and God's plans in the midst of them. So Christian, confess if you have taken advantage of God's patience. Ask for the strength to be patient in the frustrating situations of life. And if you've never trusted your life to Christ, please trust him before his patience ends. God has shown incredible patience in your life up to this moment. Yes, his patience ultimately ends. And we know there are two dates for sure, where his patience will end. We don't know the actual day, but we know that the description of them, one is the day of our death, which none of us know. God's patience for our repentance will end on that day. And the other is the date of Jesus' return, whatever day that is. But you can turn to Christ before those dates. Today. Today. And, and what that means is you turn your, away from your life apart from, from God and you turn towards Christ. And, and you put all your hope and trust and future on him. Not on Jerusalem. Not on yourself or something else. And when you do, through your faith, God will immediately adopt you as one of, your chil- one of his children. God will forgive your sin. God will declare you not guilty forever based on Christ's sacrifice so you no longer have to fear judgment. And if that's something that you need to do, I'll lead you in prayer for that in a moment. But here again, God is exceptionally patient, but not eternally patient. So let us live accordingly. And Lord, as we come to you today, we thank you for the gift of life up to this moment. Life can end so quickly, so dramatically, so suddenly. But you give us life and you show great patience to us. So for believers here today who may have been wandering from you, call them back, Lord. And if you have been wandering from the Lord, I want to invite you just to confess that to him now. I've wandered from you, Lord, and I need to come back. And then, all of us as believers need 
to grow in patience with the frustrating things in our lives or with what we consider to be detours or roadblocks or obstacles. Everyone here has them. So Lord, grow in us a patience that glorifies you, even though we can't see what you're doing or understand. Help us to see, to trust your goodness, your work, your compassion, and your mercy. And there are, maybe are some here today or watching online, Lord, who have never put their trust in you. I pray you'd call them to yourself right now. And if this describes you, I want to invite you to reach out to your Lord, to Christ. To turn away from your life apart from him and turn to him. Maybe you can pray, Lord, I see you and my need for you for the first time. I turn away from that life and I turn to you. I confess my sins. I receive you as Savior. Thank you, O oh God, for your incredible, exceptional patience with us. Empower us to be a patient people that glorifies you.